So welcome to the Common Thread Podcast. I'm here with uh, Reverend Julian Cook for part two of our series. We don't really know how long it's going to go, but we'll see where it takes us on uh, on Chicago and yes. what Chicago has become uh, basically from the time uh, that Martin Luther King spent there in 1966 up until the present. It's a big chunk of time. A lot of things happened in Chicago mm. over that period of time. A lot has changed. A lot hasn't changed. So I want to start, uh, Reverend Cook, by asking you, um, in, in doing some of the preliminary research for, for this episode, one thing that really struck me was just how vibrant and how ebullient the political scene, the community scene, the citywide scene in Chicago is. It's so rich and it's so dense historically. So many different things are happening at any one given point in time that it's almost it's startling that the place is as almost volcanic in its, act, in its activity as it is. So can you speak a little bit to, to why the why Chicago is that way and what right. makes that city just so full of energy on right. a very simple level? That's a great question. And I think there are a number of things that come together, but I'll start with the first. And the first is really, you have to look at the genesis of Chicago as a city. It's, it's history. You have to look at its history. This is a probably one of the most um, dangerous places that one could build a city. I mean, it's almost impossible to have a city on this peninsula uh, where there is uh, swampland on one side and a huge lake that looks like an ocean on the other side. The fact that an industrial city, and probably the greatest industrial city of the American story, would arise in a place like that tells you how hard these people are. Yeah. Uh, so it's no wonder that when you look at Chicago politics from uh, DuSable, who is the founder, the French settler of the city, while well, well, we already know that there were in Native Americans there, he settles that area. And from that time on, you have Fort Dearborn built there. I mean, you have a trading post built there. All in this area, as I said before, swampland on one side and a huge lake on the other side. So it tells you that Chicagoans are people who work hard, and you get the sense of that. It is a tough city. Uh, they say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. If you can make it in Chicago, you can make it anywhere. Because by nature of its location, it requires that if you're going to make it in a prairie town like that, you got to have some serious guts, and you have to have a determination to work. So I think that's a part. I think it's in a Chicagoan's blood from yeah. the time they're born. It's just it, it's it's the most improbable area in the country to have a major city like that. Right. Um, but Chicagoans were determined to make it work. The early Chicagoans, and I think that blood flows down from them. Uh, to those who live there today. So I think that's what you get that. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, yeah. the, you know, the, the economic factors, the fact that it very quickly became the mercantile hub yes. of the United States just that's by right. virtue of its location. Yeah. Um, like you said, it was the, the first uh, the first stop for, for blacks migrating from the south during the Great Migrations up north. Absolutely. It was where there was the most economic opportunity And think about all that, along with that, think about all that had to go into making that place a city. As right. I said before, it's a swampland uh, with the river on one side, the lake on the other. Uh, it floods all the time in the early years of, it, of its settlement. Um, 
There are wild onions everywhere, so it smells horrible. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and it's a prairie land, so everything is, the sun just beats down on Chicago. And if you, you haven't experienced heat until you've been in Chicago in August, it's terrible. The winters are harsh, and the summers are harsh. So these folks had to basically build a city out of nothing because they said it's a prime location for shipping along the lake and then down the river. Right. So this, this can work. Uh, but we've got to make it work. Right. And so they commit to, first of all, lifting the city. The Chicago is lifted several feet above uh, its actual where the land actually lays because uh, the water flows under the city. Uh, they also have to reverse the river. Yeah. <laughs> which, at that time, was... Uh, te- there were preachers who said this was blasphemy. <laughs> Because God had, uh, you know, structured the river to run a certain way, and now we're going to reverse a river in the early 1900s. And Chicago, because of its ingenuity, <laughs> reverses the river. Uh, it's just amazing. Now, there, now nobody says where all of the stuff that went in the river went. It went down to Missouri. So right. there's still people drinking water, even to this day, that is that is not good for them. Um but that's the story of Chicago. People who made a city out of a fire destroys it, and uh, in 1872, I believe, and uh, they rebuilt that city so that by 19 by 1893, you're able to have a World's Fair there. Right. Twenty years. That's twenty years. Yeah. To rebuild a whole city where there were only a few buildings that survived. What guts? <laughs> I mean, Chicago's a tough city. Yeah, very clearly. Um, <laughs> so that's where you clearly. get that from. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I, I it kind of takes me to uh, it kind of takes me to the 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 Chicago political machine, mm-hmm. right? So so very clearly, given given the nature of the city itself, it makes it pretty difficult to govern to keep everything flowing and yes. structured in a proper fashion so that things are running smoothly. And the Chicago machine itself, a lot has been written about it. We're not going to rehash the entire story, but I do want it to. I, I do want to take it, uh, take the Chicago political machine up until the point of around the '70s or so. So, by by its very nature, as you just described, uh, its history and and kind of the the structural forces that went against developing a city there in its first place, comes also the notion that it's going to be a difficult place to, to actually manage and to govern properly given the the sheer variety of people who live there, the nature of uh, communal politics themselves within the context of Chicago. And the history of the Chicago political machine has been widely written about. Um, it's, it's infamous, right? Um, a lot of people attribute the 1960 presidential election to uh, the Chicago political machine mm, itself, right? Right. right. Um, so, so I want to I, I, I want to talk a little bit about how uh, the the Chicago machine evolved um, from the civil rights period up until the election of Harold Washington, mm. and uh, we talked a little bit about how Harold Washington was the product of the Chicago machine in right. a lot of ways. Um, but I just want I, I, I just want us to spend some time talking about how, um, over time, uh, Harold Washington came to view the the Chicago political machine as the problem, right? As uh, the obstacle to progress for the yeah. city of Chicago politically, and how over say uh, the twenty or so years between um, 
uh, Martin Luther King Jr. stay there in 66 and Harold Washington's election in 83, things were shaken up in Chicago so that eventually we could see a Harold Washington elected mayor. Could you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. So King dies in 1968. Uh, and at that time, the mayor is still Richard J. Daley. It is right after the death of King and then the killing of Fred Hampton in 69 that you begin, and the Democratic National Convention, that Chicago really is uh, a city in decline at that point. It has begun to decline for several reasons. The most important factor, I believe, being the loss of the industrial jobs. When those jobs are lost, those jobs that made the city boom and Chicago becomes, uh, it makes this move toward a white collar city with folks living in suburbs, with white flight, with urban ghettos growing even larger, and now folks not having the industrial work, uh, Chicago is a city in major economic decline, okay. although folks are trying to mask that. Right. Um, so in the 1970s, eventually around 76, I believe it was, uh, Richard J. Daley dies, mm -hmm. and uh, a new mayor must be elected. And so they elect uh, Mayor Michael Belandic as, as the mayor of the city of Chicago. Uh, Belandic was all right, but his major issue was a snowstorm that hit the city that was beyond his control. Mayor Daley was a master at getting those, those, those streets plowed. And Chicagoans think that way. I mean, they can't make it to work, they're upset. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mayor Daley, of course, had a system of patronage associated with how even streets got cleaned. Those that showed up with high percentages uh, in the polls for him, they their streets got plowed first. <laughs> That's how he was. He was ruthless. Uh, and Belandic didn't have that and didn't understand how that worked. Uh, he was an insider in some ways. But when that snowstorm hit Chicago... Uh, that was his demise. That was his demise. And we see the election thereafter of, of Jane Byrne. He never even tries his hand at politics again. Uh, Jane Byrne is elected as mayor. Uh, and Jane Byrne, her, her election is, is very, very interesting because she really does seem to understand the sufferings of marginalized folks because she is a woman who has had to try to stay inside of the daily machine, yeah. which not only was not friendly to blacks, it certainly wasn't friendly to women. Right. And I, I really, there, there's a quote of hers uh, uh, about running against the cabal of evil men. Yes. Right? Uh, stuck up in the high room in yes. Chicago, right? So, that, yeah. so that's the image that she tried to project as, a, as an aspiring candidate. And is, of course, attaching herself to the feminist movements right. at that time that are sweeping college campuses, that are moving throughout the country. She is attaching herself to that wave, or what they, what they would call in feminist studies a wave of feminism. She's attaching herself to that and rides it into the victory at City Hall. Her issue is that she never delivers to those she's promised, uh, especially black folks. One of the things she did was that she capitalized and exploited the sufferings of black folks as far as police brutality was concerned and the housing projects was concerned. But she never fixed them. As a matter of fact, she got rid of all of the black leaders who were in charge of the Chicago Housing Authority, what they call CHA. Okay. She had them removed and uh, also uh, gypped 
one of the major uh, police officers in the Chicago Police Department, Reynold Robinson, right. uh, after he came forward about the brutality that was going on all the time in the Chicago Police Department. And even now we're finding out he was telling the truth. He, thankfully, Mr. Robinson is still alive. But uh, she, so she dips quite a few people. And after that, she is not able to sustain the support of black folks who make up a large portion, especially at that time, a large portion portion of the city of Chicago. And in walks, uh, now Harold Washington, of course, ran in 1977 as well, mm -hmm. after, after uh he ran in 1977 against, I believe it would have been Belandic and some of the others. Uh, he, of course, loses. Um, he is also working as a congressman by that time right. um, from a south side district in, in Chicago. I believe it's the second congressional district that he is working in the United States Congress uh, and, and is doing a fine job. It is it's him who uh, works with Coretta King to get the Martin Luther King holiday worked on. There we go. So I actually have a question about yeah. uh, his time as, as as a congressman. If I, if I understood correctly, <laughs> he tried to he he tried to juggle uh, his role as a, as a congressman with his role as a state senator. You have it. as uh, as well. Just because it. he knew that if he abdicated his seat as state senator, one of his political opponents would be the one appointed to that seat, and yeah. he didn't want his opponent to have that level of influence within his own constituency. Am I reading that correctly? You are absolutely right. Can we can we say a quick word about Harold Washington as, a, as a political genius, yeah, just as please. a person? By, by all means. Harold by Washington, means. I think I said this last week, but I want to reemphasize it because it can't be emphasized enough. Harold Washington is not the smiling face you see on posters with the nice afro. Right. Harold, Harold Washington was one, was the, what, as one writer called him, the intellectual who became mayor. This is a man who, if you watch the 1983 mayoral debate against Jane Byrne and, uh, or she was mayor at that time, Mayor Jane Byrne and uh, Richard M. Daley, the son of Richard J. Daley, who later became mayor, uh, you can see why he won. He lowered the boom on both of them. I mean, he could just absolutely out-talk anybody. His vocabulary was 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 par was par none. I mean, he was just he was just absolutely fantastic. He was a cafeteria reader, as one of his uh, as one of his uh, friends described him. He was somebody always. He'd be on the baseball field when they were kids, and he could play sports, but he'd be on the baseball field reading a book catching balls and reading a book. He was a genius. I mean, he read Machiavelli for fun, <laughs> you know, and, and goes to Roosevelt in Chicago, which at that time was one of the few, uh, it's a liberal arts school, it was one of the few schools that would let black folks in, in Chicago. Uh, and he's educated there and then goes on after that to, uh, North, to Northwestern Law School, where he's the only black law student in his class. Uh, the year before him, Judge R. Eugene Pincham, who was a friend of his, was, a was also uh, part of the graduating class at Northwestern and may have been among the early folks to graduate from Northwestern Law School. Uh, so Harold Washington was just fantastic. And in order to understand his political savvy, you have to first understand that this man was deeply intellectual, mm -hmm. lived, breathed, thought politics. There has been great debate, as I'm sure you've seen, as to whether or not Harold Washington was uh, was 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 gay or whether he was straight, mm -hmm. um, he did maintain a fiance. He had been married once and was divorced, 
But everybody who talks about him says Harold was was not a homosexual. Uh, he would not have had a problem with homosexuals because mm-hmm. he was one who brought very very early on. He brought gay gay persons uh, into his cabinet, mm-hmm. and he was the first mayor to march in the gay pride parade. Interesting in Chicago. Yeah, so he built a broad based coalition of outsiders. Right. But so he would not have had a problem with that right. either, but that but that was that was not true of him. He simply may have been, as one person described him in Rivlin's book, asexual. He had no desire. Uh, he liked the company of pretty women. Uh, he was a womanizer at times, but he had uh, he what he what people would find in sex, what the average person would find in sex, he found in politics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just very yeah, 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 yeah. as as Grayson Mitchell, who was his chief of staff, once said. Uh, Harold Washington called him one morning, and and Grayson looked up, and uh, he said, "What's going on, Harold?" He said, "Well, Harold Washington, can you come over to my house? Uh, I want to dis- discuss some political strategy." This is when he was mayor, and Grayson said, "Mayor, Mr. Mayor, it's Christmas Day, <laughs> and I'm opening gifts for my children." <laughs> It never crossed Harold's mind that it was Christmas Day and that folks were existing outside of the political sphere. This man was a politician to his core. Uh, his fiance, who he held for a long time, uh, whose name escapes me, at Mary Ella. Her name was Mary Ella. Uh, she uh, she described him and said, "No, Harold. Harold was a consummate politician. Yeah, and about as consummate as it gets. It about as consummate as it gets. He loved political gaming." He lived for it. He, you ever seen those people who just love politics yeah, absolutely. and love to play the game? And yeah. there, there's no satisfaction, sex, food, whatever mm-hmm. in this world that they could find that would ever touch what playing the political game. And he could play it like nobody else. He could beat the meanest son of a gun you ever <laughs> wanted to meet. But he could be one of the kindest persons and certainly one of the most intelligent. Sure. So let's um let's so one of one of the things that I also found interesting was um, the way that he thought about the mayorship for a black man mm. in Chicago. Yes. That he thought a lot about the conditions that would make that possible. Yes. And the context in which such a mayorship could be successful yes. in Chicago. And what was interesting to me is that one of the one of the preconditions he set to his decision to run for mayor realistically. If he was going to do it, he wanted this in place beforehand. Yes. He wanted to see at least 50,000 new voters mm-hmm. registered mm-hmm. to vote for, right. for, 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 the mayor, for the mayoral race. That's and that, right. that speaks to, to this idea that, that you just voiced, that he was, a, he was a, a politician who was able to build coalitions that extended further than the ordinary norms yes. of Chicago political, yes. political life. Um, what kind of understanding did this man have of uh, the, the structures of his community that made it Eric. so that he needed to pull in these outside voices in order to reach the level that he wanted to reach? You, you really are well prepared. I mean, that, that's, such, that's such an important question. In 77, when Harold ran, Harold Washington ran, um, and that, and I I want to make also a note. I don't refer to him as Harold disrespectfully. That's how yeah. Black Chicago referred to him. Right. We we never said Mayor Washington. Right. Uh, they always said Harold. Well, because he grew up. Yeah, <laughs> it was like yeah, personal. Your grandparents yeah. knew him. They yeah. went to parties with right, him. You know, right, right, and my right, grandparents right. campaigned for Harold Washington, and uh, you know, loved him. 
knew him and supported him were, were, were just mortified when he passed away, heartbroken. But, but in 77, when he ran, he knew he wasn't going to win. He ran because, first of all, he knew he wasn't going to win because he was a convicted, he had been convicted of a crime. Right. Uh, he hadn't paid, well, he had paid the taxes, some, he hadn't filed the right, taxes. Right. Very tax silly. Very right. silly. He hadn't paid, he had paid them, he had not filed them. Right. Um, so, so, so that, let's just make that clear. And had been disbarred also. Right. Because he had not taken care of some court cases that he was going, and, and that was partially because Harold Washington had a drinking problem right. at one point in his life. That's, that's fairly well known now. He covered it up quite well. Yeah. Uh, and ended the drinking problem after having an accident, an automobile accident. And he, from that day forward, he never drove. Right. Uh, so so that, that's important to know about him. He was not a perfect man. Then nobody uh, is. Nobody right? is. He was. He was flawed. So often Chicagoans, when you hear black Chicagoans talk about Harold Washington, you think. I mean, they talk about him like he's like doc, like they talk about Dr. King right. as if he's a messiah. But no, this man had some deep flaws. But he was no less great. He was right. probably greater uh, because he had those flaws. But in '77, he knew he wasn't going to run. When he ran because he wanted to see the condition of black Chicago. Right. He wanted to see where the divides existed. The beauty of Harold Washington is he knew the city. He knew that Chicago really had sort of three factors of black folks, three factions, excuse me, of black folks. The first were the upper middle class black folks who lived in places like Pill Hill, doctors, hence Pill Hill, uh, who, who he knew well because he had gone to school with some of them at Northwestern right. uh, in various programs. But he also knew Chicago had, of course, the folks who lived in the projects, the very the the, the lower classes of folks right. who were southern migrants, right. uh, but he knew about this other sector. That was the black nationalist sector, right. right? And it was really the black nationalist sector who said to Harold, "You've got to run in '83," led by Lou Palmer, interesting, uh, who was a major Chicago political icon and who wanted to be mayor himself but would never have been able to be because he was just far too, too radical. radical. Harold knew that, and so Harold said, I can play to all of you. I can work the black nationalist sector, but, but I'm not a black nationalist because I'm a civil rights guy, which those two are often at, at, opposed to one right. another because one says separation and then one says integration. Right. And Harold said, I can play on both sides because Harold was very honest. Integration didn't work. Right. And separation is not going to work either. Right. So he could play those. And then he knew how to talk to the masses, the, that lower, that black lower class. Right. And so what he did was very smart. He said, I'll run because I know I am your only hope. But uh, I'll only run if you get something. For, at first, he said something like 100,000. Right. Uh, but then he lowered it to 50,000. And once he lowered it, they actually exceeded that. Right. And they got something like 120,000 right, 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 right. people registered to vote. <laughs> yeah, so the voting drive effort was far more successful than initially anticipated. But he still knew he, he did not, he needed to win a sector of the white vote right. in order to win as well. If he had the fullness of the black bloc, which would be hard because Jane Byrne did have some black folks in her pocket. 
and Richard Daly had some old faithful black folks. Right. So from his father. But Harold did, by and large, get most black folks on board. But I have been told the moment that turned it was the 1983 mayoral debate. Right. When well, black, he just he just bludgeoned his opponents. Oh, <laughs> his line. I I don't forget it. Yeah. Because it's the stuff I live for. Yeah. I mean, he his opening line. He went third. Right. Richard Dale Daly was Richard M. Daly was asked a question. Mayor Jane Byrne was asked a question, and he said, the question was asked about the Chicago Police Department and police brutality. And when I answer the question, I will be the only person on the dais who has answered the question thus far, which was basically to say, the two, these other two jokers haven't said, anything. haven't said anything. Yeah. And this was a black man. Yeah. In 1983. Yeah. Standing up there as if he were not equal. Superior to these other two established candidates, one mayor at the time, yeah. and he and he said that, and when he said that, that turned. Yep. When they heard him use words like nefarious, yeah. <laughs> culpability, um, and, and, and as only he could, uh, that that won the upper middle class, right? Black folks. They say, "Oh, this is a brilliant brother." Yeah, yeah. yeah who can? Yeah. Who's not Jesse? Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna hold his own. That's right. He's not preaching. He's yeah. not he's not Jesse Jackson because we don't want no 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 Southern Baptist preacher as yeah. our mayor, representing upper middle class black folks. No, we want somebody who can speak and who bourgeois and who knows us and can speak bourgeois language. The the the, the lower class folks, they were one when they saw him speak up to the two opponents. And say, I'm the only one who will answer this question. Right. And the nationalists were won over by his willingness to even deal with the idea of police brutality. Right. Because the comfortable position would have been for a black person running for mayor to say, we have our issues, but we're moving on. Right. We're going to do the best we can. Right. Quite honestly, to take a sort of middle of the road Barack Obama approach, right? You, you, to you, notions you, of yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want you don't want to incite any kind of reaction. That wasn't Harold. Harold yeah. said, "I'm a black man, and I know what it is to be stopped. Right. I know it happens. Yeah, I'm a lawyer too. Right. And what a lot of folks don't know is Harold was also the lawyer who helped many black families overcome the redlining in their districts. Interesting. To get them insurance, he and his buddy are Eugene Pincham. Pincham was my grandparents' lawyer when we when my family. Uh, busted the block on 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 the south side of Chicago was the first black family to move in. He he they had to hire lawyers right. to overturn those housing covenants. Right, and um, Harold was one of those lawyers. So. Yeah, so he knew he knew the community inside and out, and very inside clearly, and out. very clearly was able to 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 form a coalition and yeah. capitalize on that knowledge. You can't talk about him enough, and enough yeah. has not been written on him. Yeah, and one one of the things that that, that was interesting in in the conversation that we had uh, prior to prior to starting this recording is that we talked a little bit about how uh, there is a lot of unexpected, at least for me. Uh, as I was doing this research, I you know there's this level of continuity, I guess that that in in democratic politics specifically um, that's represented in Chicago as a, as a critical juncture for seemingly a lot of major democratic figures, mm-hmm. specifically in in 
on the black side of the Democratic Party. That's right. And so the the one that the one that uh, surprised me the most, first of all, was the fact that Jesse Jackson spent. 20 years in Chicago making his bones, mm-hmm. um, first as an aide to, to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, in 1966, then after Martin Luther King Jr. instructed him to, to make Chicago his home base in terms of his political activities and his operations, up until the point where Jesse Jackson and Harold Washington have to come to an agreement right. about who's going to do what who's going to have what role, Mm -hmm. and who is going to get the credit and take responsibility for certain actions and decisions leading up to uh, Harold Washington's ascendancy to the mayorship of Chicago. So I'd like to speak a little bit about uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson and his story in in Chicago. And then we'll get, I'll reformulate this question later on, but just to to kind of give the, the audience an idea of where this is going. Barack Obama's connection to Harold Washington yes. and his legacy, um, and you said you said yourself prior to the to the recordings how informative the Council Wars of Chicago had been to Barack Obama in his political career and even in his presidency. Absolutely. So let's start with um, let's start with Jesse Jackson yeah. and see where that takes us. Let's start with Jesse Jackson and then move into Council Wars. Absolutely, because Council Wars was something. But right. uh, and Reverend Jackson. Uh, of course, as you said, comes to Chicago with Dr. King. He gets hooked up with a prominent minister in Chicago who, by the name of Reverend Clay Evans, one of the few ministers who would allow King to preach from his pulpit. He, it was not, and that was not without uh, punishment. Richard J. Daley punished him. Uh, Clay Evans, in short, was building a very large church, and all of a sudden, all of his citations disappeared right. yep. once King spoke from his spoke from his pulpit and held his church building up for 10 years after King spoke there. So this was <laughs> this was really something. Yeah. But um, Jesse gets hooked up with him uh, and becomes the leader of Operation Breadbasket. Right. Jesse is important because he can make the connection that King could not make. Though, though they are both Southern born, King was far too and some will criticize this, he was a little too Southern and bourgeois Mm -hmm. to quite make it in Chicago. Chicago is a Southern city up North, but it is still a city up North. Right. And and Reverend uh, King could not connect with the the same sector that Jesse could connect with. What do I mean by that? The black nationalist. Right. Jesse had a way of speaking the black nationalist language, which King had said he was not going to speak. He spoke the black nationalist language while also uh, espousing the civil rights ideals. Right. So he was nonviolent, but he also knew what it meant to say, I am, and, and everybody black in the room holds up their fist and the black power sign. King never would have done that right. and said, I am somebody. You know, that was Jesse's, that was his tagline. Uh, so he was able to do that. By the time Harold Washington comes around, Jesse has begun, especially by the time he's elected, Jesse Jackson has begun to seriously consider what it means to him for him to run for president of the United States. Right. And most people really don't get how serious it was that Jesse Jackson won, ran for president of the United States. That was in 1988, right? Yes, in 1988. Yeah, so that's only five years after Washington is elected. Absolutely. And he sees the victory of Harold Washington as a, as a possibility for him. Uh Jesse has made some very controversial statements by that time. Yeah. 
Uh, but his ability to to speak wins him right, space. Well, I mean, and the other the other thing that that uh, struck me was um, just as a function of Operation Breadbasket, how he would identify these particular um, these particular stores or these particular businesses that, and boycott them. right and boycott. Well, well, basically, and and the reason for that was they were selling directly to the black community. You got it. While discriminating against black suppliers within the context of Chicago. And so what he would do is he would organize a boycott of a specific establishment. You got it. And then he would invite the owners of the establishment in for negotiation and would explain to them, look, you're you're capitalizing on a black market. You've got it. Without basically passing passing on the benefits of that commerce to black suppliers. Yes. He understood economics exactly in a powerful, powerful way. And that's why he he, his 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 thing was called uh, Operation Breadbasket. Yeah. They were about how the socioeconomic factors contributed to the issues in Chicago because right. that was what that was what. And you're absolutely right. It was not um, for him. It was all, it was the suppliers, but it was also that the, many of these stores would not hire black right. people to right. work in them. Right. So black people could shop there, mm-hmm. but you'd look around and you would see all uh, Polish folks right. working in the grocery store. Right. And uh, so he really goes back to Adam Clayton Powell's movements of the 1930s in Harlem and says, don't buy where you can't work. Right. And that that's major. Right. That's major. And then the other the other uh, the other specific event that really struck me in terms of uh, his level of influence, mm-hmm. his ability to garner media attention, to captivate everybody's yeah. every, every everybody's attention in a particular context, to blow up a story, and and get it the kind of spotlight that it needed to unfurl and become what it should have been in the first place. Um, one of uh, one of the examples for me is the I think it's called the Chicago Fest. Yes, when he we, when he yes. organized the boycott yes. against the Chicago Fest to push back against Mayor Burns' yes. uh, decisions to eliminate a lot of the black leadership in specific institutions got that it. really contributed to yes. uplifting the poor black community. You are Chicago. absolutely right. Um, so if you could just talk a little bit about how, um, so between Operation Breadbasket and the boycott of the Chicago Fest, he was able to to form this aura, this persona of Jesse Jackson in the context of Chicago mm-hmm. and how that interacted with uh, Harold Washington's political prospects. Absolutely. At that point, uh, he became one of the most powerful uh, political voices in Chicago. Before he was powerful, uh, this being Jesse Jackson. But when folks boycotted the Chicago Fest after what he had to say uh, about the firings of these uh, of these folks by Jane Byrne from major city positions, uh, that showed that really nobody could be anything for black Chicago without passing through Jesse Jackson. Now that posed major issues for Harold Washington. Right. Because Harold Washington was from the old school and he had been born and raised in Chicago. He was not ready to kneel at the throne of Jesse Jackson to do anything and told him so. Harold also had this other issue, right, which is a strategic issue in relation to Jesse Jackson. Gary Rivlin calls it the Jesse Jackson factor. Right. It was that he needed to be close enough to pull on Jesse's uh, political clout and image, but he needed to be far enough to where he was not automatically associated with Jesse, first of all, 
by Jewish folks who would support Harold. He had to win a portion of the Jewish vote. Uh, what they call lakefront liberals or Hyde Park liberals, right. who are white Southsiders but often Jewish. Right. Uh, and it, that was important because of Jesse's comment on Jaime Town, as right. he referred to some of the districts in uh, some of the shopping districts that blacks would frequent that they could not work in. And he used that word to describe it, which is a which is a disparaging term. Right. You don't hear that term much these no, days, no, but no, no. but it's that's seventies, seventies, 70s, 70s, Most sure. people would hear that now and say that doesn't matter. Right, no, right, it right, was right. very, very hurtful at that time. Right, and he had to, Harold had to distance himself from that. Right, and he also had to distance himself enough so that the lakefront liberals on the north side would be willing to vote for him without thinking these are the Polish folks, uh, without thinking oh. Uh, my goodness, uh, Jesse is going to become our mayor. Right. Right. So Harold Washington had to maintain this very well-orchestrated relationship to Jesse. Delicate equilibrium. Delicate equilibrium. Riding a bike. I mean, yeah. one side <laughs> yeah, to the... Yeah, I mean, yeah. he really okay, had to... That's a perfect metaphor. He really had to do that. Yeah. To pedal with both legs. Yeah. And it really comes to a head on the night that Harold Washington is named the Democratic nominee. Uh, he wins. Jesse is there. And Jesse is the one who makes the announcement and, and, and says, you wanted him. Now you have him. The next mayor of the city of Chicago, Harold Washington. Which means if you're the guy doing the introduction... You're more powerful than the guy who's coming up to speak. You're almost having to anoint him the leader. Right. You're framing the yes. context of, his, of and, his speech. And everybody who was there, and then he takes, what adding insult to injury, he takes Harold Washington's hands and lifts them up as if to say, you are the victor. Right. And I'm crowning you. Yeah. And everybody who was standing behind him, who I've spoken to, Axelrod being one of them, says that there was a, uh, that there was a tussle between the two of them. A small tussle that nobody ever saw because Harold was too smart for that. And so is Reverend Jackson. Right. But there was a small tussle where Harold, who was much bigger than Jesse, uh, tried to force Jesse's hand down so that Jesse could not lift his hand up. <laughs> because they, because he wanted the entire time. He said, there's no way in, Harold said, you know, he was a cusser. He yeah. said, no, there's no way in hell yeah. Jesse Jackson is going to crown me King yeah. of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was yeah. here when he got here. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the whole power politics yeah. thing, right? And yeah. the last thing, so there's that. But then the last thing I need, because I got to now, I won the black vote. I now got to go out here and and win the lakefront liberals and the Jews. Right. So it can't look like Jesse Jackson is the guy who's delivering yeah. all of this political clout to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Right? This, this is not a transfer. So from that point on, <laughs> the, the advisors say to Harold Washington, if you want to win the lakefront liberals, who you have a chance, because you don't have a chance with the Irish. Right. No One chance. Another, yeah, no chance. Uh, you don't have a chance with the far south side. No chance. If you want to win, you got to go for the lakefront liberals and the Hyde Park Jewish population who are sympathetic to the civil rights cause. And you can't do that with Jesse Jackson. Right. So from that point on, I think he makes maybe one trip to Operation Push's Saturday broadcast. Right. Because 
he knows he's got to create some level of distance. Right. Which is a major insult to Jesse Jackson. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a, this is a, this is one of the complexities. Complex. Of uh, it really is, and I mean, it, there, there's so much to say just just on the black side politically, mm-hmm. just in terms of how the subtleties, the nuance, the level of politicking that was required to even get anywhere, right? Um, but that, but then you have this completely different side of the equation that's as important, if not more important, just because of the level of. Uh, of of political power yes. on the other side, and that's the and that's the the very fragmented and the highly segmented white community. Yes. So you're talking about the Lakefront liberals and the the Jewish population of Hyde Park. Um, I don't I don't know if 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 we're going to be able to get into enough detail about why those particular communities were receptive to somebody like Harold Washington right. because it speaks to the greater historical context of yes. Chicago itself yes. on that side of the the city but um could you could you just briefly talk yeah, about how um sorry i say a brief word on that oh yeah please yeah. by 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 all means please so uh, that please so, do. so that we can at least touch it the thing with with the lakefront liberal and the high park jews high park has always been viewed as a very progressive area in right. the city of chicago it was close enough to Bronzeville that there was some level of interaction. Right. It is also the home of University of Chicago, right. which is a bastion of American liberalism. Right. Uh, so some would even argue that the two places that the social sciences were born as a discipline were here at Boston University and at University of Chicago. Right. Uh, and I would agree with that as a as a religious scholar who looks at social ethics and sciences and the social sciences. I would agree that those are the two places that it was born. And University of Chicago is right there in Hyde Park. So that influence is there. That progressive ethos is there. It's nonetheless racist. It's still racist. Uh, As one fine uh, man said named Frederick Douglass, uh, just because you don't believe I ought to be a slave doesn't mean that you think I'm equal to you. And and that's very clear when you, especially old school Hyde Park. Uh, there, There was still this level of racism, but there was progressivism and so they would vote for somebody it was felt who was black and who could present themselves as uh, progressive and respectable Mm -hmm. respectability politics respectable enough to be voted for the lakefront liberal was much the same because you had progressive Jesuit school like Loyola right on uh, for the lakefront liberal so these were Catholics but not Irish Catholics Mm -hmm. These were progressive Catholics who would be willing, and many of them would have gone to the great dinners that Martin Luther King Jr. had, those fundraising dinners back in the 50s and 60s to raise money for the SCLC. These great philanthropists would have come from the lakefront liberals, uh, from old, that's old money, many of them, uh, and would have voted, would be willing to vote for somebody who presented themselves respectable enough. And truth be told, in Chicago, it's interesting, right, that the people who raise up somebody like Barack Obama right. are the where does where does Barack Obama live? High Park. Right. It is the High Park Jewish population and the Lakefront liberal right. that contribute to the candidacy of Barack Obama. Right. Harold Washington, although he did a very good job to try and win over those two populations, he still did not get what he deserved. And David Axelrod said uh, one time. This was the second campaign. He looked at Harold Washington and said, these numbers are still ridiculous. You're speaking the language of the lakefront liberal. You're speaking the language of the high park uh, Jewish population. 
And he says, Harold Washington looked up after looking down for a long time and said, and excuse my language, but this is what Harold says, a yeah. direct quote. He said, ain't it a bitch to be a black man in America? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so and so that 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 begs the question for me. Yeah. What about uh, his his mayorship in yes. the first place so inflamed that kind of opposition? Like, the, what what did he do as mayor of Chicago that made people in Hyde Park and and uh, in in the lakefront, so to speak, view him as this dangerous black man? Yeah. This uh, this man who represented a a threat to the identity of Chicago, to the political establishment of Chicago. Can you speak a little bit about yeah. some of uh, some of the actions that, that yep. Mayor Mayor Washington took yes. that, that really undermined his ability to, to, to garner that kind yep. of political base in the future? And I want to start by saying, this may seem an odd way to go at this, but sure. I want to start by saying what made him favorable or what should have made him favorable, right. why he thought those areas were important. Uh, is because on the lake for the lakefront liberal as well as the Hyde Park uh, Jewish population, he was a reformer, and those were the two reform schools right. in Chicago because they had not received the patronage of Richard of Richard J. Daley. They were not a part of the machine. They had called for reform a long time ago. He should have won landslide with those two populations, right. but he didn't. Why? Without a doubt, racism was very very real. Uh, that's not the only reason, though. Mm-hmm. Racism was very real. It was played on with Harold Washington in just crazy ways. From the way he was depicted in political cartoons, go and look at some of the political cartoons of that era. Uh, it depicted as a, as a savage, a jungle savage with a bone yeah. stuck in between his nose and eating watermelon. Um, and then when folks found out that he had a political record... Uh, excuse me, a criminal record, and that he had been disbarred because you know he ran against Bernie Epton, who was a liberal, right. but who became a Republican just to run against Harold Washington. Right. And so people who had voted Democratic their whole life voted for Bernie Epton, uh, who was from the lakefront, from the North Side. So he, uh, I mean, it, it it was just awful. And then it came to a head, of course, when Harold Washington went to church. St. Patrick's, I believe. And when he got to church on Palm Sunday, he and Bernie Epton were supposed to go to church. He walked into the church, or up to the church, got to the door, and somebody had spray-painted nigger on the church. This is what year? This is 80, this is 83. This is the before the 83 election. And that's when it reached a point where folks say, okay, this is getting ridiculous. The man can't even go to Palm Sunday Mass without without something like this happening. Um, what made him, what created the council wars, so I'm giving you, a, this is a nice little transition. Mm-hmm. What created the council wars, Harold would have been much more successful if he had been willing to agree to the system of patronage that existed in Chicago. Right. The, the, some people even said, Mayor, you're doing too much. Keep the system of patronage, keep the nepotism in place but use it now to get black folks in these jobs. Right. Keep some of them white folks in there, but use it now to your advantage and to get white people in these jobs. And then the Irish and Verdoliac, Alderman Verdoliac and all those who really oppose you, they'll leave you alone if they mm-hmm. can still do those little patronage right. acts that, you, that your predecessors have allowed them to do. 
and you can get black folks in here finally. Harold said, no, we're going to get rid of the system of patronage altogether. We're going to fire all of, these, all of these people who are doing nothing, who are listed as consultants, who are contracted for work that we still don't know what they're doing. Had he not done that, he would have been much more successful. But as Cornell West said, he was the, he was the uh, one person said he was the intellectual who became mayor. Cornell West said in his book, uh, uh, Race Matters, that Harold Washington may have in fact been the last great political prophet right. that we saw. Harold would not tolerate uh, uh, injustice in, in the halls of government. And it all goes back to his father. Right. I really believe that. His father being done wrong in the way that he was done wrong, Harold carried that for the rest of his life and saw that nepotism really never worked for people of color. So, so, so to interrupt you, I just want yeah. to remind the audience what 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 specifically was done to to Harold Washington's father. Yeah. We know that he was part of the Chicago political machine yeah. under Richard J. Daley, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. How was he done wrong under that context? His father was uh, the committeeman, uh, one of the Democratic committeemen on the South Side in a South Side district. I believe it was the historic Third Ward, and uh, after the death of a major uh, alderman in the in that in that uh, area he should have been rightly the the alderman of of that of that war and this is based on that system of on patronage. that system of patronage he should have been the next in line to be supported by the party mm -hmm. this is before uh, Richard J Daly this, oh, this, this is before Richard J Daly but he is not he is not given uh, that that position and dies a very broken-hearted man and Harold Washington's father was a minister, very well respected, brilliant, just like Harold Washington, and raised, after Harold Washington's mother passed, he raised his children by himself. Um, so a very skilled man right. who demanded excellence. Right. Um, but who was done wrong by right. the machine, right. by the Irish machine yeah. that he had worked so hard for. And he carried that. Right. And so that and so that informs how well, that staunchly informs. he went he went after this system. He's gonna be a reformer. Um, and some folks and I wanna make it clear, it wasn't just white folks who criticized him. Mm -hmm. Black people. Right. Some of the black folks who voted for Harold in eighty three did not vote for him in eighty seven. Because they said, especially the nationalist community. No, what you should have done, as they said about Barack Obama, was you should have come in here and cleaned house and made it so black in here, nobody could ever fix it. Right. They've done it. The Irish did it. Right. When the Italians took over the government in New York with Fiorello LaGuardia, they did it. Uh, they wiped out Tammany Hall and put, and put all of uh, the little flowers uh, folks in place. Uh, it's happened in every other major city when the Polish got taken over uh, in politics. They, they did it. Why not you? And so Harold wouldn't even play nepotism for, for black folks. Um, but what he did do was that he built the broadest base coalition in the city's history. It was no longer the white man game. It was white people, Latinos, a large sector, more than, uh, more than his predecessors for sure, and maybe the most that we had ever seen in, in the city of Chicago. And lots and lots of women. Yeah. Lots of women and lots of LGBTQ identifying folks. He's the person who, who institutes the office 
uh, of uh, of LGBTQ uh, uh, an officer to his cabinet for LGBTQ uh, persons. He he's the one who introduces that and is the first to march, first mayor to march in the gay pride parade. Um, and and from there you get all of these sort of legends right, and myths about about right. him having been uh, right. gay himself. Right, it's a, it's a convenient political bludgeon, right? And then when he him. died, you know the there was a famous cartoon in the. <laughs> I laugh because you, if you don't you laugh, you'll cry. It, there was a there was a political cartoon in the Sun Times that depicted the mayor. Um, Deceased, but uh, like he was being stretched out uh, and prepared for his funeral, and under his clothing, he had on uh, a negligee, yeah. and that became a defining image. Right. Uh, of really, it's it's a form of derogatory art. Oh, absolutely. It became the defining image of white of many in white of white Chicago's feelings about the mayor. That he was never man enough, mm -hmm. in their opinion, uh, to 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 be to be mayor. Right, and that's because he stood in st in such stark contrast to the traditions of Chicago politics. Absolutely. Um, what 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 a, what about uh, Washington's agenda beyond uh, reforming the system of political patronage in Chicago, which was so deeply entrenched oh, as uh, speakers, as we know. Yeah. Um, what what else about uh, his his agenda and uh, and his political beliefs and his his actions as mayor um, shook the city up um, just in terms of the way people thought about mm -hmm. uh, politics in Chicago because one one thing that we talked about before putting the recorder on was yeah. the notion that after Harold Washington you know it's Humpty Dumpty can't be put back together again just in terms of the way that Chicago politics were structured in and of themselves yeah. and that speaks to his ability yeah. also to the effect and, and the impression he made on the city absolutely and not long after he gets into gets into the may uh, the seat of the mayor in Chicago comes the Glass-Steagall Act so right. that so that sort of cements Harold's policies in place and that's why it's never been able to be put back together again it's been re reinforced by federal regulations so that was great I mean Harold was a prophet if you if you agree with with um and with Cornell West, he was this visionary. He could see that that was coming down the pipeline. And he said, I'm going to fix this before so that once the federal regulations get in place, you'll never be able to put it back together. But the other thing he did was that he was fair. Mm -hmm. He looked at he really looked at the city like this. He was like a radical egalitarian, which is what some people say King became. Right. He looked at the city like a pie. And he would say, folks would say, Man, Mr. Mayor, you're, you're appointing too many black people to the Chicago, to head initiatives with the Chicago Police Department or with CHA. And he would say, well, 89, 90% of the residents of CHA are black, so it seems fair to me that their representative would be black. And he would say, uh, this city is 46% black. It's a chocolate city, as they used to call it. Uh, it seems to me 46% of the leadership ought to represent that. Uh, what 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 really was going on, and what the accusation was, and even goodwill white people who I know and love, who are family friends, they hated the candidacy and the mayoralship of Car of Harold Washington. They hated him as mayor, because. But what they don't realize is that he, 
the city was coming from so far behind. We had such a ways to catch up. They said all he did was appoint black folks to positions, and that's reverse racism. You all know. You you all just liked him. That's what they say. Good friends of mine. You just liked him because he was black, and he did all these things for black folks. The man couldn't win either way. Yeah, <laughs> it really sounds that way. He couldn't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 it just sounds like, it, and it just sounds that that, that like uh, the the notion of identity politics in yeah. Chicago is first and foremost the primary principle in terms of polit- any kind of political activity. Yeah. Because if you can't if if you can't deal squarely with that and engage with those identity politics in a way that's consistent with you got the mentalities of Chicagoans, then you're going to be done wrong like Harold Washington. Yep. And thankfully, he was smart enough in his uh, building of the coalition, along with making sure that there were no, uh, that they had enough votes and people registered to vote. He also made sure that there was not another black candidate running. Right. That's very important. Jane Byrne and Daly split the white vote. Right. So once that happened, he ha- he had a clear path to victory if he could win the High Park Jews or the uh, Lakefront Liberals. Right. He had a clear path to victory. The reason no black candidate has won in Chicago, some Chicagoans would say, was because we've never had another here in Washington. He right. set the bar so high. That may be the case. But strategically, the reason no one has won is because we have always had several, since him, several black candidates. Right. trying to one, right. run, instead of us getting behind one black candidate right. and running that person all the way to the, right. to, the, to, the, um, to the mayor, to the seat of the mayor. So um, the, it was devastating his death was because he was just, he had just won the council wars. Right. The, it, was, it had been held up in court. The courts ruled on his behalf. Um, he had the support that he needed. He was able to finally turn by playing some political games, he was able to finally turn several of the people, the, or what they called the, was it the, was it the thirty-nine? I think it was the thirty-nine uh, folks who had always wanted to filibuster him. The thirty-nine right. aldermen, he had been able to to to, to successfully turn them, many of them, right. to him into his favor. And Verdoliak was out, so he, uh, who was his major rival, and so he could do what he needed to do. Right. But then. A couple of days before Thanksgiving, day before Thanksgiving, uh, November 23rd, 1987, he is 300 pounds, overweight, because he's eating all the time, working all the time. He's a smoker, or was a smoker. Hit terrible sleeping schedule. The man read a book, uh, something like a book a night or something like that. I mean, he was just, just incredible. <laughs> After working all day, yeah, getting up at five in the morning, reading the newspaper, listening to all, sits in his office and he has a heart attack, dies, devastates the city of Chicago. So I wanna, I unfortunately we have to we have to put it yeah. into this particular segment, yeah. but that actually sets the stage quite nicely for the next instance of uh, of what's going to be a pretty see pretty what happens when you series. talk to preachers, yeah, yeah, you know. Exactly. It's, it's, we try to set it up for you so we can pick it up next week, you no, know. No, no, no. Well, so it, well, so what we can pick up on is uh, the council war specifically, yeah. the significance of his death, and then I I, I want to look at how uh, that also informs. We mentioned uh, David Axelrod multiple times here, mm-hmm. how that informs David Axelrod's perspective and future career, Barack Obama's perspective and future career as a community organizer and member mm-hmm. of the Chicago scene. 
and then hopefully we can we can eventually get to one of the one of the big fish we we definitely have to hit which is namely the the chicago pd oh yeah um, so so just to give everybody a little idea of what's going to come next um again thank you as always thank you Mateus. Reverend, Reverend thank Cook. you for preparing and, so uh, adequately oh man we're 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 gonna hit it again next week and i really appreciate it man. this forward. has been great thank you thanks